Today is day 11 of our daily Bible reading. We have now entered the territory of Exodus, which is what we will read today, Exodus chapter 1 through chapter 5. Lord God, thank you for bringing us here, and remind us, Lord, of your goodness, and that even in our terrible afflictions and our darkest days, that you are there waiting for us to look at you and to turn to you and to trust you in all things. Just as Moses trusted you, may we do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came each one with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were seventy in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply, and in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us, and fight against us, and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread out, so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks, and at all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, and the other was named Puah. And he said, When you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing, and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. 
Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile, with her maidens walking alongside the Nile, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, and said, Because I drew him out of the water. Now it came about in those days, when Moses had grown up, that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? But he said, Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to Ruel, their father, he said, Why have you come back so soon today? So they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and what is more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. 
he said to his daughters, Where is he then? Why is it that you have left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out. And their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush, and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God 
at the mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together, and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will pay heed to what you say. And you, with the elders of Israel, will come to the king of Egypt. And you will say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now, please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go, except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. Thus you will plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. Then he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. The Lord furthermore said to him, Now put your hand into your bosom. 
So he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then he said, Put your hand into your bosom again. So he put his hand into his bosom again, and when he took it out of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, or heed the witness of that first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. But if they will not believe even those two signs, or heed what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile, and pour it on the dry ground. And the water which you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth, and teach you what you are to say. But he said, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently, and moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, he shall speak for you to the people, and he will be as a mouth for you and you will be as God to him. You shall take in your hand this staff, with which you shall perform the signs. Then Moses departed, and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go, that I may return to my brethren who are in Egypt, and see if they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go. In peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart, so that he will not let the people go. Then you will say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn.
Now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, You are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. At that time she said, You are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now the Lord said to Aaron, Go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel, and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and worshipped. And afterward Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labors. Again, Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now many, and you would have them cease from their labors. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen, saying, You are no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks, which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it. Because they are lazy, therefore they cry out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men, and let them work at it, so that they will pay no attention to false words. So the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I am not going to give you any straw. You go and get straw for yourselves, wherever you can find it, but none of your labor will be reduced. So the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to get stubble for straw. The taskmasters pressed them, saying, 
complete your work quota, your daily amount, just as when you had straw. Moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not completed your required amount, either yesterday or today, in making brick as previously? Then the foremen of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why do you deal this way with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, yet they keep saying to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are being beaten, because it is the fault of your own people. But he said, You are lazy, very lazy. Therefore you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So go now and work, for you will be given no straw, yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. The foremen of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble, because they were told, You must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. When they left Pharaoh's presence, they met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. They said to them, May the Lord look upon you and judge you, for you have made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought harm to the people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Ouch. What a terrible way to end this day, but that's the ending we got. So, let's recap some important things here. So, first off, we have in chapter 1, we show that some time has passed. Um, if you recall uh, what happened with the original patriarchs, God gave them a number. I believe he told Abraham 400 years they would be in Egypt. And during that period of time, they would grow and they would multiply, and then they would go back to the land that was reserved for them. So we don't know exactly when um, the whole slavery thing began, but most scholars believe that the beginning of the slavery in Egypt happened not too long after Joseph passed away, um, a couple of generations after that. Um, the good thing is, is that the Egyptians were very good record keepers. And so we have a pretty good idea of who the Pharaoh was during the biblical narrative. The Pharaoh that we have on record, that was Pharaoh when... Jacob's family went to Egypt was Sesostris III, who reigned for about 35 years. And then there was another pharaoh by the name of Amenemhat III. Joseph was uh, 
alive during his reign, but then near the end of his reign is when Joseph died. Now it's believed that from then, it was about 200 years of time. Then this is the pharaoh named Amos I, who we believe to be the pharaoh who did not know Joseph. As verse 8 says, there was a new king who did not know Joseph. Now there's another uh, king of Egypt mentioned here in verse 15, which is talking to the midwives. Now, some time has passed since the first king said he they did not know Joseph. So this one is either um, Amenhotep I or Thutmose I, uh, which is what we believe to be the pharaoh at the time Moses was alive and was young. And that was the house he was raised in, since he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, as we see. But then you see that he died, and uh, we see that Moses fled from Egypt for about 40 years. And in that time, a couple of Pharaohs had come and gone. So the records are very clear that the Pharaoh who was in power during the Exodus is Amenhotep II, because we have records that show the Exodus was in about 1445 BC, and this particular pharaoh was already in power for about five years when the event happened. So, very interesting. Now, it says that they grew in number, that it started with 70 people from uh, the loins of Jacob. But how big was Israel after these few hundred years? Well, we're not quite there yet, but there was a census that was done in the book of Numbers. And it showed that there were 603,000 males 20 years old or more. So they represented about a quarter, or maybe a little bit more, like a third of the total population, because this didn't include children, this didn't include women. So it would be safe to say that you're looking at close to two million people. So when we talk about just a few people leaving Egypt. No, we're, we're talking about a grand scale here. We're talking about two million people. So, of course, you see Pharaoh freaking out about these people are bigger and mightier than we are. There's more of them than us, and they're mightier than us. There's any day now they could just ally themselves with a, one of our enemies, and they just wipe us out. So let's enslave them. And that's exactly what they did. And then they did something that seems a lot like things we do today, like abortion, which is a terrible evil, which I don't want to even get into it because it makes me irritated. But they were, they were told to kill boys because with the boys, you wouldn't have more Israelites. With girls, you could intermarry them. You could marry them into 
the Egyptian culture and integrate them. And then they become one culture rather than being two separate groups. So that was his plan. But these lovely midwives feared the Lord and obeyed him and his, his standards. And they were blessed by it. And then we see the famous story. I mean, there's a whole movie about it too, right? The Prince of Egypt, I think it was. So we Moses was born but to a Levite family. Apparently he was a very beautiful child. His mother hid him for three months. Then we know the story. Put him in a basket, floated down the Nile, and Pharaoh's daughter was out bathing. She found it and saw the baby was there. And then so conveniently... Um, this little girl appeared and said, hey, you need somebody to nurse that baby? I just happen to know somebody. Hint, hint, it's the mom. <laughs> and so um, it's very interesting how that happened. And then when the when Moses got older, then Pharaoh's daughter took him in as a son. So he was raised with, I can imagine, as a toddler and his, you know, kindergarten beginning years around there, I can see that the Jewish family that he was raised with was instilling those values and that heritage into him because he, as he got older, he had that passion for his own people. He recognized himself as one of them rather than an Egyptian. And that's a very important thing to note. This little girl that went to talk to Pharaoh's daughter was none other than his sister Miriam, which we'll meet her by name later. Um, but we don't have Aaron in the picture yet. Even though Aaron is the older brother, there's no mention of him just yet. Um, but we will get to him soon. Moses is his Egyptian name. That is not a Hebrew name. It is an Egyptian name. We don't really know what his Hebrew name is. And it doesn't really matter. But um, just so you know, he's educated in the ways of Egypt. And he has an Egyptian name. But he knows in his heart he's a Hebrew. So he was 40 years old when he was avenging um, one of his Hebrew brethren and killed a man. Apparently that... Word got around, even though I guess he didn't hide the body well enough. Now even Israelites were fighting each other. He's like, what are, you, what are you guys doing? I thought we were, I thought y'all are brothers. Why are y'all fighting each other? Oh, what are you going to do? You're going to kill us like you killed the other guy? And that, that got him out of there pretty quick. And sure enough, Pharaoh found out about it and sought his life, so he ran for it. And he apparently did something good to the people in Midian and was able to get into that family there. Got a, a wife and some kids out of that. So good for him. And then we see uh, chapter 3. His time of hiding has come to an end. And we see the famous story of Moses with the burning bush. But we cannot just gloss over this as the kid's story that we may have heard uh, because it's much more than that. Much, much more. 
So we see that um, first off in the at the end of chapter two, they make something very clear about God's character here, because it shows that the king of Egypt died. The sons of Israel sighed because their bondage. They cried out to the Lord, and their cry reached God. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant and took notice of them. So let me be very clear. He already knew. This was nothing surprising to him. Nothing surprises God. He knows everything in the minutia of detail at all times on the face of the universe, the entire cosmos. So he knew exactly what was going on, but to keep with his standards, it says many, many times, and this is you'll see this pattern as we go through the Old Testament, any time his people cry out to him, they their heart is ready to listen and receive the Lord for who he is. God responds every time. That is his redemptive nature. That's his loving kindness in play here. And that's where we see Christ as well, because Christ responded to our hopelessness by being the way to salvation, to bridge that gap, that impossible chasm between us and God. We can never be holy ourselves. We cannot be in his presence if we are not holy. So Jesus stepped out of heaven and became sin for us so that we could be made holy by his grace and by his power, his righteousness. So this is not anything that, you know, God just happened to, oh yeah, I was supposed to take care of these people. Uh, it's been a while, but uh, I think I remember what I told Abraham. No, it's nothing like that. God is not a man to for he forget these things, but it's showing us that God is now ready to take action because the people are ready to receive him at this time. So Moses is a really silly character. <laughs> he really is because of, you know, he interacts with God Almighty and he tries to find every reason to get out of this job. It's so crazy. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. And I know we do this, too. Like, Lord, are you sure you uh, you want to pick me? Um, there's a bunch of people much more qualified than, than I am. Uh, Lord, I don't mean to be you know, rude or anything, but I think you need to choose somebody else for this job. You know, We can get like that with God, and we should never do that. God knows exactly what he's doing. And, you know, Moses is one of the greatest characters in the Bible at the end of it. So... He's making a man out of this coward. And he is a coward, and we see right here um, how he reveals himself. And he uses the term. So he asks him, what's your name? What's your name? If I go to these people and they say, I don't know who you're talking about, what is, his, what is your name? What do I tell them? And this is how God revealed himself. That is the name Yahweh. In ancient Hebrew and in church world, we call that the Tetragrammaton, which is 
YHWH. And that's where you get different variations of it. You get Yahweh, you get Yehovah, you get Yahweh. There's different variations of it. Because, unfortunately, ancient Hebrew is really hard to read. And it's lost to us how things are pronounced. Because in the Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, they don't use vowels for anything. So it's kind of hard to figure out how to say things in the ancient Hebrew. It's easy to, it's not easy by any stretch, pardon my ignorance, but we are capable, that's the right term to use, we are capable of translating ancient Hebrew into a contemporary language. But it's different speaking it, because we don't know any native ancient Hebrew speakers to base this off of, because it is a dead language in many ways. So we have to make our best guess. But pers my personal preference is Yahweh. But I think we, the intent of the heart is what honors God, not exactly how you pronounce his name. But anyway, the... the meaning of Yahweh is, like he says, I am who I am. I am the one who is. Meaning that I am the one who exists by myself. I, I am self-existent. I have no beginning. I have no end. I simply am who I am. And that is how God has chosen to describe himself and to reveal himself to us in his word. So anytime later on through the Bible, we're going to see Lord a lot, the term Lord. And you'll see it in the coming verses, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is the same as the name Yahweh every time. Okay, sometimes you'll see capital L, lowercase o-r-d, that's to be more like his kingliness, his his lordship, but not his name, just to be clear. And why did they do it like this? Because the Hebrew people found his name to be highly sacred, the most sacred thing of all, which it should be, to where any time they had to write his name, they had to get a fresh pen, a fresh feather quill, if you will, and in order to not taint his name. So, very sacred name. So, but if for the sake of, in my case, an English reader, um, instead of putting YHWH everywhere, you see that they just put Lord to, to indicate that's what is being said here, what God has revealed himself to be. I am who I am, said this. All right, so I think we got that. And, again, back to Moses' character. Um, God is not a man because he is extremely patient with Moses. He, he's like, what if, I, what if they don't listen to me? What if this, God? What if this? What if this? And it just makes me want to slap him. I'm like, man, do you even know who you're talking to? Do you really? Because if you did, you would just go. Just go and obey. You know? Just like, I'm a, I'm a parent of three boys. 
And sometimes they get in that sassy mood where I tell them, hey, I need you to do this. Well, why? Well, well, what if, why can't I do it like this? Hey, dude, can you just obey, please? Because I'm your dad. I know what's best for you. You need to obey the way I said it. And that's the same thing that God is doing with him. But he is more patient than I am. He's eternally more patient than I am. And long-suffering. So every challenge that Moses threw back at God, he had an answer for it. And he's like, well, what do I do? You know, what am I supposed to say? What if they don't believe me? Okay, let's show some, let's demonstrate. So you see this staff? Throw it on the ground. Boom, throw it on the ground and turn into a snake. But then you see Moses run away from the snake. <laughs> you see how much of a coward he is. And he's like, Moses, get back here. Hey, grab it by the tail. See what happens. Boom, it's a staff again. And with that, that should be enough to convince people that what you're saying is legitimate. And if there isn't, here's another trick. Put your hand in your robe or in your tunic. Pull it out. It's leprosy. Put it back in. Now it's not. So if that doesn't work, this will work. And then he says already preemptively, which I didn't even remember this last time I read this. He kind of told him preemptively what signs he was going to demonstrate to Egypt, like the the water becoming blood. You know, that was something that I thought was just originally, I thought it was just revealed when he started doing the the miracles. But no, he told him ahead of time it was going to be like that. So that was I thought that was interesting. And then, very important thing that God says here in uh, chapter 4, verse 11. And this is when Moses is saying, I'm not a good public speaker. I, I can't even get my own words right. Why would you want me to be the spokesperson for you, Lord? And then the Lord said to him this, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go. It's, that's as simple as it gets. Who makes everything happen? Who decides how you're going to be? I'm the Lord. I decide what's going to happen here. I created you a certain way on purpose. And that's something that is challenging for some people, especially skeptics of Christianity. Well, if God is really a God of love, why do people have disabilities? Or why does he allow people to have deformities? Or why this, why that? Because God knows exactly what is needed in your life. And and Jesus said it very clearly as well when he walked the earth. You know, they asked him when they saw a man born blind, the superstition of that culture was that it was because of sin. That because of sin, that person was born blind. When they asked Jesus, who, well, who sinned? Did he sin when he was born, or did the parents sin? And he said, neither. He was born blind so that the glory of God could be made through him. 
So if you're listening and you have a disability of some kind or you have a mental illness or, you know, you're missing a, an appendage, uh, a limb, you know, you've got issues. I, we all have something going on, some kind. All of it happens. Your uniqueness is for the glory of God. I know sometimes, if especially uh, when you're going through it, I don't have those issues. And so I don't know what it feels like to be in your situation, if that's you. But what I do know is what God says. And he says that it's for his glory. Right? So embrace that. Don't hate him for it. Love your uniqueness for that. And use it for God's glory. And he will reward you for that. So, but he already knew that Moses was going to resist. You know, <laughs> he even after saying, I'm going to go with you, after all that he just said, who makes man's mouth? You know, isn't it me? Who makes people blind and deaf? Isn't it me? Go. And Moses still fights him. <laughs> Please don't send me, send somebody else. And then it says, the Lord got angry with him. His anger burned against Moses. And he's like, oh, all right, I knew you were going to say that because I'm omniscient. So I already told your brother Aaron to come and he's going to be your spokesperson. All right. I will get you to do this. So you can stop making all these excuses and try to get out of this, but you're going, dude. Whether you like it or not, I have a plan for you and you're going to do what I need you to do. He does that to us, too. We need to be listening for that. So then, finally, we have, um, in chapter 5, um, the confrontation with Pharaoh. What is something that is a struggle for some Christians as well is he had previously said in chapter 4, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform all these wonders in Pharaoh's sight. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. God purposely hardened his heart. And yes, that does mean that God is sovereign over your own heart. So sometimes when you're not feeling it spiritually or things are a little off track, sometimes that's God's doing. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's us. But sometimes but God at any time can override the state of your heart. He will never contradict himself, and he will never go against his nature. So, for example, if you're saved and you have the indwelt Holy Spirit, he won't ever take that away. He's promised he wouldn't. It's a seal, and it's a permanent seal. So it's not that God, oh, I changed my mind, you're not saved anymore. He never does that. So we can rest assured and be confident in that. But our, the state of our heart is completely in his control. And he did that with Pharaoh in order to prove his point as, and to make sure that everyone is thoroughly convinced that it was not anything a man could do. Because we're going to see here shortly that Moses is just going to throw his staff down and turn it into a snake. But guess what? The sorcerers of their culture can do it too with demonic power. But then, a couple of miracles in, they're like, we can't do this. This is the power of God. 
And that's what God wants. He wants nothing to be given credit to man. He wants all the credit for himself to show that there's no way this could have been done by somebody. It has to be God. God loves that dramatic entrance, if you will, to show that it was him that did it. So that he gets the glory and no one else. And so Pharaoh retaliates and says, well, you got, you have all this free time to go and uh, you know, traipse through the wilderness and you know, worship your God. Well, you obviously don't have enough work. So I'm going to increase your labors. And you know all the building materials I gave you? You're going to have to figure it out yourself. But yet, I still want the same quota. And things got pretty nasty. But instead of seeing that, hey, something's in the works here, they say, Moses, Aaron, you just made it worse. God called you over here, really? Because when you got here, you just made it worse. And then Moses, in his immaturity, we can't really hold this against him because we do it too, but he said that, why have you done this? Ever since I came to Pharaoh, you have done harm to his people and you have not delivered your people at all. Calling God a liar, calling God a deceiver, calling God unfaithful. I am so glad, for one, I mean, that interesting little piece there about his wife, you know, saving Moses' life because of his of the circumcision. Because it says that um, God met him, met Moses at the lodging place and sought to put him to death. But Zipporah took off the foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet and let him live. So, Again, even in ignorance, covenants of this time are still in effect. And so, if you're going to be God's anointed people, you need to be circumcised in this time period. Now, the whole New Testament talks about circumcision of the heart. It's a spiritual thing. But in this day, it was both spiritual and physical. That's interesting. But we also see... He obviously is not ready to understand the Lord yet. We've all been there. And I'm glad that God did not just strike him down right there and say, you know what? I'm done with you. (laughs) You keep resisting me. You didn't want to circumcise yourself and your kids. And now you're mouthing off to me like this. I'm done. I am totally done with you. I'm getting somebody else. He could have done that. But instead, he remained faithful Moses. How wonderful is that? All right, so that is day one of Book of Exodus. We will see the rest of it as it comes. Very exciting next five chapters. Until next time, I'm Ryan. Take care and God bless.